Wrestling fans, this is Ryan with Wrestling Changed My Life. Before we get to the show, please consider leaving a reviewer rating. The more we get, the more this podcast is bubbled up to wrestling fans just like you. You know, generally, I have a, a philosophy that anytime something goes wrong, um, I have what's called the, uh, the one-hour rule. If I ever make a bad decision or some bad uh, act occurs, I will allow myself one hour to reflect on it and to learn from it. And, and to, you know, digest it. And then after that, move on. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100% how to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's Five percent of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today has been described as Chicago's most interesting man. It's Joe Siprit. He's the founder, CEO, and chief investment officer at Kerberos Capital Management. Prior to that, Joe was a nationally recognized attorney. He was named to countless lists for being top attorney in his field, 40 under 40, all the accolades you could imagine, folks. Joe has achieved them. And he attributes all of his success in life to wrestling. And that's why he's on here. Joe wrestled in high school and then went into practicing law and now runs a successful business, but he's active with Beat the Streets. He's active with USA Wrestling, and this is just a fantastic conversation that intermingles wrestling, business, and life. I hope you enjoy it. Fan of the week goes to my man, Dustin Dryfurst, a Geneseo, Illinois alum, a resident of Moline, Illinois, a father of two. Dustin, thank you so much for listening to the show, my brother. Always a pleasure to see you. We wish you the best. As always, folks, Wrestling Changed My Life is proudly presented by Spartan Combat. For exclusive Yanni Diakamahalas merchandise, please go to SpartanCombat.com. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Joe Siprit. Peace! Joe Siprit, welcome to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, indeed. This is a... I'm very excited for this conversation. Because uh, yeah, I'm in technology sales, so I do enjoy some business dialogue. Uh, I'm also producing documentaries, so I enjoy some dialogue around that. I know you have experience across both of those areas, obviously doing a lot with Beat the Streets and, and with USA Wrestling in general. But let's just start. You know, I, I've read so many articles about you, and one of the philosophies for you that comes through is that, well, there's two. One is that life is meant to be enjoyed. Um, and then the second one is, you're all about authenticity and being honest. And that may seem obvious, but 
Um, I think you, you really take it to the extreme and and your business dealings and, and that's just the kind of person you are. So I don't know what you want to start with, but I'd just love to know how you came to either of those two philosophies. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I think you're right. I, I do like to think of myself as being, um, you know, authenticity above all in terms of an operating philosophy in life and business and everything else. I, I think that um, it's, it's a journey to get to that point. I think that uh, it's one of those things that, you know, has the risk of sounding like a cliche unless you really understand and, and adopt at, at all levels what that means. So, you know, it, in business, for example, I was a lawyer before I became uh, a professional uh, investor and fund manager, and we can talk a little bit about that. But, you know, as a lawyer, uh, just to take one example, if you ever walk into court and you see lawyers argue, the typical sort of bluster is like, you know, um, oh, your honor, that's outrageous. My, my client is, uh, you know, is, is virtuous and the other guy is, is sinful and life is that black and white. You know, it's, it's, it's very inauthentic seeming. But if you look at a good lawyer, a really good lawyer, the advocacy is different. The advocacy is more like, yes, Your Honor, this is exactly where the weaknesses of my case are. This is the problem. This is the limit of the law. But here's why I think we win. Here's the point of distinction. So there's a certain honesty that comes with advocacy that takes years to evolve and adopt. But once I struck on that as a lawyer, I realized this is just a better way to live life. And in, in business and in all walks of life, um, just sort of coming right down the middle and saying, this is what I know, this is what I don't know. Um, it's effective and it's also easier than trying to make it up. It's a lot easier. And it also takes a lot of pressure off your back because you know that when you're done with the dealing, you didn't, nothing is going to come back to get you. You know, whatever's done there is done and you can move on. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and people remember that. And so if you're playing a long-term game, especially, I think people really appreciate the, the fact that they can deal with someone who tells the truth. And when you say you stumbled upon that, was that something that you, that happened at Novak and Macy, the first firm you were at, or after you had started your own business? Yeah, I'd say it was a, it was a process. I mean, it takes a tremendous amount of confidence to just be yourself and to um, you know, be authentic, as, as I like to say. And so I would say certainly the roots were planted at my first job out of law school. You know, I graduated in law school in, in 2003. And so, um, yes, it was a process early on, but it, it does take a tremendous amount of, of confidence and um, steadiness to be able to really sort of stay the line and resist the temptation to kind of inflate yourself and to inflate um, your position if you're a lawyer. And so that's not something that happens overnight. It's something that happens over time. But I'm convinced that the wrestling background was part of what made that possible because there's a certain type of confidence that comes from, from wrestling and that those who have wrestled have. Yeah. And um, it was really a matter of just putting it all together. So, you know, how long did that take me? Gosh, probably, probably at least eight years after law school, maybe more. And you said it, it stems from your time wrestling. I know you're a, you're a big supporter at, at many levels, but the articles I found, you said that your dad wrestled. So was your dad the Joe Ciprit who went to UIC and was an NCAA All-American? He was. He was an All-American over at uh, UIC back in the early 70s. Um, and so I grew up with that kind of environment. You know, when I was four years old, five years old, and, and you know, maybe even earlier than that, we were always wrestling in the house and, and learning the fundamentals. 
I didn't actually join organized wrestling until I was in eighth grade, though. Um, I was playing baseball and basketball and football and things like that when I was in junior high. And, and I, I finally got into the IKWF as an eighth grader. It's sort of an interesting question. You know, when do you get your kids involved in the sport? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nowadays, sometimes it feels like if you don't start by the age of four, you know, you're over the hill. Um, but uh, back, back then, I think there was a philosophy of having a more well-balanced um, childhood. And, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to throw a baseball at a picnic. And not yeah. look like an idiot, right? You know, I know I know a lot of wrestlers who can't who can't throw a football or can't throw a spiral. So mm-hmm. it's it's nice to be a little bit uh, well-rounded. But when I was in the IKWF in eighth grade, that was like the golden era uh, of the IKWF with like the Harvey Twisters. Yeah. Um, you know, the the first meet I ever went to was against the Harvey Twisters, and like half the guys on that team ended up being like NCAA champions. <laughs> you had you had the Williams brothers. You had uh, Tony Davis, all, all these guys like that. So I saw those guys wrestle, and I thought, my God, it doesn't look like that when I wrestle. I, I must not be very good at this sport. But, you know, it was in my defense, those, those guys were pretty high level. So um, that's when I started. Is there anything more intimidating than going to a kid's tournament and seeing the Harvey Twisters if you're not on that team? There, there isn't. Like, my, my jaw was on the floor, and I was like, okay, I don't know, I don't know if this sport's for me because I, I just saw that guy – literally rip that other guy's arms off. <laughs> um, and that, that doesn't seem like fun, but um, you know, those guys were pretty good. Even, even at the age of uh, gosh, how old were we? 11, 12, 13. I mean, we had kids on our team that were, you know, cutting 10 pounds to drop from 70 pounds to make 60 pounds. You know, people, people were very hardcore, but um, that's the, the nature of the sport. You know, you, you got to uh, instill that discipline and that, and that work ethic early on. Yeah, it's uh, it's so true. And you look at that that team. You know, I was in IKWF in like '02, and that was the first year they were back from IWF. And so we got to the state tournament at Rockford, and I'll never forget being in the warm up area and seeing sixty kids in red red warm ups, hoods on, not talking to anyone. I'm like, God, that's the that's the twisters right there. I was I was terrified being a country boy. Um, it's so funny how many people in Illinois talk about those guys, and as they should, they're they're a dominant team. So when you look at your career, what was I'm trying? I always like to look at the big turning points. Was it for you going away to Marquette for the first time or was law school the big one where you said, shit, I'm in it now. This is a whole new world. And I up back against the wall and I'm fighting. Yeah, I think it was uh, law school. I think that, you know, when I went to college, I majored in social philosophy. So that was basically um, a pre-law major, because if I hadn't gone to you know, law school, I'm not sure what I would have done with the philosophy degree. Yeah, uh, I, I limited myself and boxed myself in. So it was basically all in on law school. And, uh, you know, I, I took a year off before law school and kind of just decompressed. I worked at a law firm just to get some experience, but gave my brain a little bit of a rest. And then when I was in law school, I was all in. And that that's really where um, I came alive and began to, to really thrive academically, because uh, I was really interested for the first time um, a little bit in college, but but really in law school, that was the first time where I was really, really interested in what I was learning. And it changed the way that I view the world. I often say that the two times in my life where my brain exploded were uh, in my freshman year of college when I took a philosophy course for the first time, you know, the philosophy of human nature or something like that, um, which really changed the way I think. And then for the second time, and even more so, uh, first year of law school, when I took 
uh, contracts and uh, never saw the world the same way again uh, after that, which was, which was cool. It was very empowering. How do you mean you never saw the world the same again after that? Because things were just switched on. Like my ability to understand relationships and, you know, at, at a human level, uh, politically, legally, business-wise, at, at all levels, like I just understood, you know, where the pressure points were and how, how structures work and how they're all built on contracts and, you know, how to navigate those systems. I mean, it's like giving someone the tools um, to, for, for life that they never had before and then turning them loose. It was, it was very fun. And, and so um, I look back on those times fondly. And then by the time I got to my third year of law school, I had senioritis and I was mostly mentally checked out. But, you know, the first, the first two years, it was pretty cool. And did you know you were ultra competitive type A like that before you got in there? Or did that bring it out in you? No, I think I, I think I knew that. To be honest with you, I tried to to stay out of the competition mindset in law school. I wasn't really a lot of people do bring that mindset in there, and it's it's a little bit of a zero sum game mentality. You know, I, I have to root for the other guy to fail um, because then I'll do better. I, I never really adopted that mindset in law school. It was more like, look, you know, I'm just going to do my thing. And as long as I do well, everything else will, will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's a better way to stay sane, I think, during law school. Uh, but but as, a, as a person uh, in general, yeah, absolutely. The competitive mindset was always there. And that's partly what drew me to wrestling and partly what wrestling created for me. Yeah, and I just love people in business who have that wrestling background, whether it's state champ, they wrestled for a year in middle school or five years or, or whatever. It's there and it's it's ever present. Um, and I just, you know, I love following your career because you get in to uh, the firm we mentioned earlier. I think it's Novak and Macy. And I read that one of your mentors there, life-changing mentors, this guy named Steve Weiss. What did he teach you or what have you learned from him that's really been fundamental to your core beliefs? Yeah, Steve Weiss was was that uh, shop and Weiss, which was just after Novak and Macy. He was, uh, he, you know, we're talking about authenticity. That person more than anyone else really helped me understand um, the power of authenticity and, and, and just how, how effective it can be and how hard it is, honestly, to, to, to master and adopt and to really own. Because he was a very, very successful lawyer. And, uh, but when I met him, just disarmingly sort of laid back and you know, just a nice guy, no error about him, no pretense. When you see him argue in court, it was kind of that that thing I mentioned where it was just right down the middle, no BS, judge, you know, here's what I know, here's what I don't know, here's where the law is, here's where we are, and so here's what I'm asking you to, to do for me, as opposed to the bluster and, you know, the puffery that you see on TV or that you will often see in, in, a, in a courtroom in real life. Um, that was one of the first times I saw a guy at the highest level just come right down the middle and I thought, wow, um, you know, that's that's really how it's done. And so I, I like to think that, you know, that was one of the first uh, uh, key models I had for that. Um, and he's a pretty good golfer, too. <laughs> I know you love golfing. Uh, I wish I shared that passion. I I just uh, have not found it yet. But um, speaking of passions, did you ever do jujitsu? Are you an active jujitsu guy? I did. I did. So I. Uh, I never wrestled in college. You know, it's probably one of my great regrets actually is, is not wrestling in college. Um, but by the time I finished my high school career, I had a bunch of injuries. I was very burnt out. I cut a lot of weight my senior year. 
And I was, uh, I, I, I don't think that um, I was ready to, to go back into it freshman year of college. So I never quite got started with it. But as a result of that, I always had a chip on my shoulder and I always had, you know, a little something extra in the tank. I, I knew that I, I had that I hadn't spent yet. And so um, after college, when I was in law school, I started in jujitsu and, uh, you know, the wrestling foundation works incredibly well for jujitsu, as of course, you know, and uh, it was a great way for me to be around the sport. And um, 75% of anything I ever did in the jujitsu room was just wrestling. I mean, I would just, you know, I, I walked in as a white belt on like day one and I was able to, you know, compete with the, the purple belts and the brown belts just based on the wrestling base. I will say, by the way, that is one of the things that probably held me back and other wrestlers back is because we, we hate being on our backs so much. It's very hard to learn the guard and learn proper jujitsu technique when you're relying so much on wrestling. So that, that's a whole nother subject. Yeah. It, it was, a, it was a great way to uh, stay around with the sport, which I, I did when I was in my uh, early and mid twenties. I also love the article you wrote on how wrestling needs a belt system like jujitsu. And uh, I think you're spot on there, or at least some way to differentiate the levels because like, think about going to a jujitsu tournament I'm a white belt and I get stuck up with a black belt and I must think I suck. Whereas in jujitsu, that would never happen. You know? So I just love yeah. your thoughts on that. It, it, exactly. So by the way, I commend you on your research. You're, you're pulling out all the stuff from, from years ago. Um, I, 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 I did, I wrote that article uh, probably 15 years ago. It was called the merits of the belt system. And the, the basic thesis was that wrestling, you know, in martial arts, everyone knows about the belts, right? Like you're in a, uh, you're in a conversation with someone and you tell them you're in martial arts, what's the first thing they say? What belt are you, right? Um, you know, they, it, and so it's a, it's a good way to measure your progress. And more importantly, it's a good way to develop a sense of pride and sort of ownership over the process for, for young people and in a way to track your, your progress and your achievements. I think in, in wrestling, um, that, that's missing. And I think particularly, you know, the younger kids, at like the IKWF level, if we could translate it into a belt system, I think people would stick with it more and would, would understand the nature of progressing um, more than they do now. I also think, by the way, that later in life, we would be able to recruit many more people into the sport or keep them in the sport. You know, I, I competed, um, believe it or not, competitively as recently as like three years ago. Um, because I, I started competing in the old man tournaments. I, I got an itch, uh, to get no back. Way. Yeah. There's a, there's a Chicago, there's a club called the Chicago wrestling club with guys in there, um, all shapes and sizes. I mean, I, there are, there are some guys in there who are like, um, post collegiate or just wrapping up collegiate who are like D one all Americans. There are like guys from, you know, Russia or the Ukraine in there who are literally like world you know, caliber athletes. And then there are, you know, 65 year old men in there who met wrestled in college or, or high school, you know, 300 years ago, and basically are just trying to push a little bit to break a sweat and you've got everything in between. Right. So when I, when I tell friends, or when I told friends at the time that I was doing that, the, the common reaction I got was well, why? And what struck me about that is if I would have told them I was doing jujitsu, no one would say why. If right. I told them that I was doing, you know, um, swimming, no one would say why. But when I tell them I'm doing wrestling at, you know, 40 years old plus, everyone says, well, why the hell would you do that? So, you know, I think that the, the belt system is an example of where that's how you keep people in the sport is that you 
you, you create a, a system where people of all age have a way to progress and to measure their progress and to stick with it. And I love that um, at the kid level, it de-emphasizes external results because you could advance through the belt system, alter your own merit simply by persistence and, and being disciplined in class, irrespective if you win anything. Whereas like in youth wrestling, I feel like if you don't qualify for state, you think you're a nobody, but really that doesn't even matter, you know? It, that's exactly right. Perfect example, like that, that kid who basically like, you know, gets throttled by someone, in, you know, and the Harvey Twisters, right, goes home and he's like, well, I, I pretty much suck at rust. And it's like, well, no, you know, you're a green belt or you're, you're a brown belt or whatever it is. Like, that's something to be really proud of. And that's something that most people don't have. So I, I really believe that the belt system ought to be incorporated in some way. Um, but wrestling is, is um, slow to change things, as we know. A lot of tradition, but I think there's, there is hope. There's some organizations that are doing kind of like the novice bracket or, or even like, even if there's not like seven belts, like there's in jujitsu or whatever it is, if there's just like three, like, I don't know, like expert, immediate novice, I think that would do a, a lot just because, you know, youth wrestling is so competitive and like, you know, you feel like you're forced to specialize when everyone knows deep down, that's not the answer for raising the best athlete or even the best kid, you know? I'm with you on that. I'm also with, I don't know if you're with me on this, but I also think wrestling could go a long way to bring in like Nogi rash guards versus singlets. uh, Cause there's a lot of kids that don't wrestle because the singlets. And I just think the Nogi rash guards look pretty fine to me. So I don't, I don't know where you're at on that one. I I agree with you. I think that anything that that we can do to get kids in the sport and and keep them in at an early age without scaring them away is uh is a good thing i think it, it's got to be that being said you know we got to make good style choices and i don't want it to look like a practice uniform right so it's got to be slick yeah. but but I, I do think that you know the singlet is a bit old school and and probably we need to evolve well you're a man of style so we'll let you uh let you design them let you give uh, your seal of approval and you know with, with all the wrestling background you have and in some of the competitiveness obviously that you've displayed through jiu-jitsu or veterans wrestling I want to dive back into business a little bit because I love hearing about like the crux point when you just said, I got to start my own business. I got to make it on my own. How long had you been thinking about it before you made the jump? Yeah, probably about two years. Um, You know, it was kind of like an itch. I mean, when I started my career, initially my thinking was um, focus first and foremost on developing your skills, learn the craft from those who have mastered it and, and really try and, and, um, you know, forge a reputation is someone uh, who inspires confidence. That was basically the way that I, that I went about uh, my, the early part of my career. But I knew I was an entrepreneur by, by nature or by spirit. Um, and I knew that at some point I wanted to do my own thing and start my own firm. Then it just becomes a question of, of timing. So here's my philosophy on this. I truly believe that starting a business, whether it's a law firm or, you know, um, a hardware store or whatever, when you start a business, it's like having a kid. There's never going to be a perfect time to do it. You just do it. And then once you do it, you're like, all right, well, I've got this now. And then you just have to figure it out, right? So the, the basic way that I, that I did it was um, I call this um, hurling yourself over a cliff. When you want to um, do something that requires a little bit of a push and you know you think to yourself, well, maybe tomorrow... And then tomorrow comes and you think maybe next week, there's, there's always going to be some better point in time when you think you could do it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you don't want 20 years to go by and, and you still haven't done it. So what you do is you hurl yourself over the cliff. And in practice, what that meant for me 
is I came home one night and I had about five scotches and I sent a blast email to everyone that I know announcing that I had started my own law firm. <laughs> and then, and then I went to bed and then I woke up the next morning sober and I looked at the emails and I thought, well, I guess uh, it's official and I got, I got to do it now. And so that was me hurling myself over the cliff and giving myself no outs and then, you know, figuring out a way to make it work. And that's what happened. Oh man. It's just, you just went for it. And did you regret it the next morning when you sent that email out or you just lived with it and went on? No, I was excited. I was excited. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that, you know, and then having given myself no uh, choice in the matter at that point, I was just all in. And then the only thing you're thinking about is moving forward and how do I put the pieces together and, you know, and let's make it happen because, you know, failure is not an option now. Not at that point. And, you know, once you're in the swing of it, you know, you're in the months four, five, six, seven, I got to imagine someone who has the kind of success you do in the legal world has a tremendous work ethic. So what, what, what kind of hours were you putting in when you were in the thick of your career, like you're in the prime of it? Uh, crazy hours. I mean, uh, not just because of the, the uh, I mean, lawyers work, you know, long hours, everyone knows, but I was in litigation and even more specifically, I was in corporate litigation. So I found like the one area that, you know, perhaps among uh, all areas of the law really required um, just tremendous long hours. And, you know, especially for short uh, bursts of time, like there might be like days or weeks in particular for a TRO or an injunction or something where it's, it's nearly like 24 hours a day. Um, I did that a lot in the early part of my career. And not that every day was like that, but I mean, I, I was always willing to do it and I was always able to do it. And I will say, you know, tying this back to the wrestling, I am firmly convinced that the only reason I was able to do that and not only survive it, but, but excel in those situations is because I had survived wrestling and, and, and gone through wrestling. And I, I truly believe that wrestling is unique among all sports in this exact way. I mean, you know, someone who plays high school football or basketball or whatever, there are benefits to be sure but they cannot, or high school, whatever, but they cannot say what only wrestlers can say, in my opinion, which is that there is nothing quite like, you know, going through a wrestling practice or surviving a six minute match with another man standing across from you on a, on a mat when it's just you and him, the, 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 the level that you need to access in yourself to be able to do that is something that makes the entire rest of your life easier. And um, that really paid off for me in a, in a direct, tangible way as a, a young lawyer, or frankly, even not that long ago in my investment career, where I had to just dig deep and, and, and get work product out of myself that required physical stamina and, and, and strength that um, I was able to dwell on my, my wrestling because I knew that it, you know, if, I could, if I could survive the wrestling, I could do anything um, and not shrink from a challenge. So that's my long answer to your question, but there's absolutely a connection. And it's cool because a lot of times in the wrestling world, we get, you know, you hear it all the time, how important wrestling is. But then when you talk to someone like yourself, who's been out there in the shark infested waters of high level litigation, and you hear someone like you say it, it's like, man, we got to remember how special this sport is and got to remember how 
exceptional these youth clubs and these beat the streets clubs are because they're the ones really doing it at the grass level it's like it's not the iowa's the oklahoma states that's fun but really it's just the middle the middle school clubs out there who are getting it done it's it's so true and beat the streets is a great example i mean um mike powell uh, who runs beat the streets chicago um is uh is 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 just a a poster child for someone who's able to you know instill these types of benefits uh in his kids and who's a great spokesperson for the sport and as we were chatting about briefly uh, earlier, uh, Mike Powell is, is one of my all-time favorite people. I think he's one of the greatest people that's ever walked planet Earth, honestly. Uh, he's, a, he's just a great guy. All the things, personal challenges that he's overcome in his story and uh, the, the inspiration that he serves as and the way that he inspires his kids, it's, it's really incredible. Um, so I love the way that he talks about this and thinks about this, but it's all about the youth movements. You're right. Um, you know, the guys at, at the college level, the D1 college level, I mean, those are professional athletes, right? So when we talk about changing lives, you know, we don't need to necessarily talk about or start the conversation at, at the college wrestling level. We're talking about the junior high level, the local programs, the youth programs, people who stick with it through high school. I mean, those are the people who, because of the investment that they make in, in that wrestling room, the entire rest of their lives will be, will be easier. Absolutely. And a, a big part of it is that it impacts your mindset. And so if you go back to, uh, to your legal days, like let's say you're walking into the courtroom against Southwest or the NCA uh, case you had big stuff. What kind of mindset were you carrying into that? Were you uh, calm and relaxed or were you like laser focused? And this is more so for some of the young professionals listening who are trying to make some jumps in their career ladder. Like what, what kind of mindset did you take into the office or in the courtroom back then? Yeah, I would say more the laser focused. I think that the key to um, success in a negotiation, if you're a lawyer or in the business context, but you know, lawyers are always negotiating because we're trying to settle cases. 90% of all cases will settle before trial, right? And so you get to put on your business hat as a litigator. And you know, the mentality I always had was if I'm prepared for anything, then I can come right down the middle. So we come back to the authenticity point. The way that I used to negotiate is I used to say, here's what's going to happen. We're offering you a price of X dollars today to settle this case. If you don't take it tomorrow, I'm going to do this. The day after that, I'm going to do this. And then we're going to go to trial. And then here's the outcome we're going to try to achieve. You're going to do your best job and try to oppose that. And good luck to you. And then if they didn't do what I said in the negotiation, I would do exactly every single thing that I promised. It wasn't a bluff. I used to always say as a lawyer, I never bluffed ever because bluffing is when you say I'm going to do X, but you're full of shit. You're not really going to do that. Right. Um, You're, you're sort of like hoping the guy doesn't call your bluff. I would always just tell them what's going to happen and they can do what they want to do. But (laughs) uh, you know, that's, that's, and then people know that you're, if they know you're serious, then they'll, they'll say, all right, well, you know, we got a decision to make here and that's how you get good outcomes. So yeah, the, the authenticity point in coming right down the middle and just having that sort of quiet confidence, you know, you don't need to puff out your chest. You just have to say, look, I understand you're going to try to get a good outcome for your client. I think the price is, is X and you're going to do what you're going to do. And if, and if you want to try the case, then we'll try the case. I think I've got a 70% chance before a Cook County jury. You're going to do your best. Maybe you think you've got a 70% chance. We'll see. Let's, let's see who's right. And, you know, nothing more or less, right? And so that, that's the best way. You got to be prepared and you got to know your stuff and you got to be able and willing to do all those things. But that confidence, it goes back to the wrestling point because I knew, I knew that we could do whatever had to be done. And 
uh, generally, that's how we got good results. It's interesting you say that because I'm in the enterprise software world and a lot of reps, and I've even been guilty of this, you know, it's the end of our fiscal year in September at the company I work at. We're trying to get deals done. We'll give you a price in September. It expires in September. If you want to get the same deal, you got to buy now or you're not going to get that pricing in October. It's really easy to extend the same pricing in October. And I got to imagine someone like yourself or some of your mentors would hold the line on that. Absolutely. I, I, I would say always, you know, follow through with what you said. And if you tell someone they've got 30 days to act before the price goes away, give them the 30 days and on the 31st day, say, sorry, you know, we, we're, we, we told you the truth. Nothing I can do about it. I love it. That's good advice. And there's a lot of salespeople who listen to this podcast because every about every 20 guests or so will have someone like yourself on and they all reach out telling me uh, that they appreciate the advice. And so kind of jumping to where you're at now in your career, you're running a, a litigation finance firm. I don't, I didn't know a lot about that before this, but obviously you're managing money and choosing to invest that outside of like your actual day to day for people who are listening, who are trying to get their finances in order. Like what are some of like the investment philosophies that you live your life by that have allowed you to accumulate wealth and also, you know, direct the wealth at your firm? Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, our, our platform at Kerberos is a, a multi-strategy asset management uh, platform specializing in credit. And then our flagship strategy is litigation finance markets, as you said. So, you know, investing in lawsuits, backing law firms, um, you know, specialty opportunities in, in, in litigation related markets. So, you know, it's a specialty, um, you know, sort of niche uh, area that for me was an outgrowth of the stuff that I was doing as a lawyer. And I had a very sort of clear vision for how to build uh, this platform and was compelled to do it. Uh, you know, if you have an itch uh, and, you know, it, it persists um, and you have a vision for how to do it uh, at some point, you know, you get on the train and it's, it's throwing yourself over a cliff, you know? So, so nearly 20 years later, um, I did it again, or, or 10 years later after I started my law firm. So um, that's what we're doing right now. You know, as a professional investor, I think the advice I have is, um, you know, it, the amount of commitment required to invest professionally is extensive. So if there are people out there who have platforms set up and, you know, you can invest through their platforms, do that. Be a little careful of the do-it-yourself mentality. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, it's the, not the kind of thing that one dabbles in. Um, people like to be in, in control of their money um, and that's empowering. But I think that, frankly, delegating it to, to professionals who have platforms set up for this stuff is probably... Um, a, not only a wise investment, but um, cheaper than therapy, right? Because you'll sleep better <laughs> at night and, uh, you know, there's, there's benefits to that as well. So I don't know if, if that's stating the obvious or not, but a lot of the um, things that worry me are when people try to do crazy things uh, on their own. And uh, it, it's a shame when you see that happen. That is good advice because there was about five dudes in Patagonia vests when I worked at Salesforce who thought they were day traders and every day they'd be talking about it. And uh, I'm sure they know their stuff, but I'm of the mindset like you, like let someone else do it if they can. And kind of knowing you have all this business going on in your life and you've had in the past, what are you doing from like a health and fitness perspective, like workouts and diet? Is that something you focus on as well? Yeah, it, it is. Um, I'm very much into functional medicine and anti-aging uh, technology, trying to, to, you know, work with um, professionals who specialize in that stuff, like not necessarily traditional Western medicine stuff, but more like cutting edge advancements in technology and in, in, in medicine and science. 
it's actually extraordinary, like how much the world changes like every three years, right? So the things that, you know, seem like magic to us, or, or in retrospect, the, the things that seemed like magic in fantasy 10 years ago are now things that are just commonplace and we take for granted. And so, you know, I'm trying to stay on the cutting edge with, with uh, all of that stuff as best I can. There's only so much time in the day, uh, yeah. but, you know, I try, to, I try to hit the weights um, whenever I can. I actually built, um, I would say, a high school wrestling room um, equivalent in my building where I live. I, I commandeered the mezzanine space and, and basically put in custom wrestling mats in a, in a weight room that uh, is probably equivalent to a good high school wrestling room. So we got to do a that. tour of that. That's amazing. Yeah. You know what? You will not be disappointed. You're, you, if you ever want to like do a little follow-up or whatever and, and come by in Chicago, I'll give you the tour. Um, I've had, uh, believe it or not, uh, Olympic gold medalists in that room training. Um, and so uh, it's, it's a great place for my son, for example, who's uh, in seventh grade now, a good way for him to get exposed to the sport. I go in there and, and train when I can. When I was competing in the old man tournaments, I did the um, U.S. Nationals and the senior division um, a couple years in a row, several years ago, one year Greco-Roman, one year freestyle. So I did a lot of training in there and got in pretty good shape. It's hard to keep up, uh, yeah. I, will, I will admit, but um, you know, I go through cycles where, where I really make a push for it. I would definitely take you up on that because I live at the corner of Ashland and Irving. So uh, you know, I'm living in Chicago, it's not too far. And we do facility tours all the time. So it'd be cool to see a, a private one right in the right in the heart of Chicago. Yeah, for sure. No, it, it'll, it'll be uh, worthwhile. And then, you know, bring your wrestling shoes in case you want to push a little bit. Yeah, no, let's do it. Let's get a workout and we'll have to film a workout in there. Yeah. Now, when you talk about the anti-aging stuff, that's really fascinating to me. I've listened to a, a number of guys going Joe Rogan and talk about that. I'm sure you've read about all of them. What are some of like the two or three things that, that you're doing, um, whether it's a certain amount of sleep or hydration or, or anything in that realm that's, that's helping in that cause? Yeah, I mean, I, I do a lot of blood work. And so I'll get readings on like, you know, what are my, um, what is my body not producing enough of, you know, what am I deficient in that sort of stuff, and then constantly making adjustments through, through supplements and through diet, things like that. Um, so, you know, in that regard, I wouldn't say it's rocket science, but it requires a certain amount of effort in the right sort of infrastructure to police this stuff, and then to know where to go to, to correct it. And, you know, I probably take uh, 100 pills a day, um, you know, which is, which sounds like a lot, but I've developed an ability to, um, do like 25 at a time, believe it or not. Uh, cause I, I don't have the patience to sit there and just do, you know, one or two. So I, I, I can do like 25 at a time. So four times a day, um, I'll, I'll take the pills down and it's not that big of a deal, but you know, that, that stuff keeps me sort of optimized, um, from a, from a sleep standpoint, I try to do, um, what I can on sleep. I've, it's hard when you're in the business world to decompress your mind um, yeah. and sort of like allow yourself to sink into a deep sleep. Uh, I think that's one thing that that probably lawyers in particular are challenged with, but um, I think that's a big uh, aspect of it. And I try to do okay with that. Um, keep up the training. And then, you know, beyond that, there's always like, you know, cutting edge tests that they develop where you can early cancer detection, um, things like that. So you know, it's, it's out there. It's, it's not magic. It's just taking advantage of things which maybe exist today and they didn't exist last year and staying ahead of the curve. My current plan is to live to 140. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, one third of the way there soon. I love that kind of stuff. I, I just, I, 
you know, so many people think the same way. And like, you know, throughout life, you don't meet many people who are outside of the box, reach and stretch and, you know, doing crazy things like what you're doing or like what Mike Powell's doing, building a, a wrestling building on the South side. People don't think that way. And so when you come across them, it's, it's always awesome to pick their minds. And obviously that's what we're doing with you here. I wanted to ask you about beat the streets and, and I know you've been involved with that for, an, for a number of years, maybe even before Mike Powell, um, also involved with USA wrestling, but when you look at beat the streets as a whole, what do you, what are you seeing right now? That's really getting you excited, both with Ben Ryder on the national level and with some of the stuff in Chicago. Yeah, just, I think for beat the streets and particularly in Chicago with what Mike has done, I mean, you know, the, the facility that they just built is, is really amazing. I mean, that's like one of the nicest wrestling rooms I've ever been in ever, frankly. And I, I know, and I've been in college wrestling rooms. I mean, so, so what, what he did over there is, is truly incredible. And the, the ability to, to recruit um, and, and retain uh, kids who, you know, might otherwise be exposed to really, you know, dangerous uh, environments and, you know, um, make bad lifestyle choices. I mean, the fact that they're able to get into a, a structure like this to give them not only the ability to, to get in a wrestling room, but the mentorship and the sort of coaching that goes along with it, that to me is the most impressive thing. Um, the sort of case studies for how they're able to reach kids and the things that they're able to offer them that would be just otherwise totally closed off to them. Really, really cool stuff and really inspiring. And um, I think it's important that we uh, support stuff like that. Yeah, I love, uh, I love how when you go in there with those kids, they're all in it together because they're, they're going through all these tough practices together. Right. And it's like a shared suffering. And we, a lot of people have said that, that, you know, shared suffering kind of concept, but it's so true because then you can like go up to your buddies later at school and be like, man, remember when coach did this or this and how hard it was, you know? So there's that, that common bond. Whereas it's not, it's not as Mike Powell says, it's not a safe place to come and play a ping pong and eat pizza, right? You're going to come and work there. And I, that's the, that's the difference maker if you ask me. hundred percent. No, I, I agree. Absolutely. So what they're doing, you know, is, is amazing. And, the infrastructure that they've developed uh, in just a, you know the last several years that I've been uh, involved is is incredible. It really is. Now, Joe, as we wind down, I want I have a couple rapid fire questions I've sourced from the audience, just because it's not every day we get a businessman on the show. So I figured I'd uh, I'd fire away. First and foremost, you're a man who loves to collect. What are some of your favorite items you've acquired over the years? Whether it's like a Cuban cigar or whatever. Yeah, so I would say number one, uh, books. Not to sound boring or unoriginal, but the truth of the matter is that I have a pretty extensive library, and I'm, I'm proud to say that I, I've read all the books in there, other than maybe just the last ten or twenty that I've ordered recently. But um, you know, there's, there's, gosh, I don't even know how much, hundreds and hundreds of books, maybe, maybe over a thousand um, that I've read over the years. And I, I think you know, continuing to read and staying well read and. and pursuing a broad number of different, you know, sort of educational interests, not professional uh, education, but just, you know, staying engaged, staying curious. I think that's one of the things that makes us um, stay young and, and energized and vibrant. Um, so I, I'm, I'm proud of that. I also, um, more than any one particular thing, I like the fact that um, I have sort of an eclectic um, you know, collection of things that I've picked up over the years from traveling or that inspired me or that I particularly liked. Um, I do have a couple of cool swords in the house um, uh, from various periods of history. I've got um, a saber from Indo-Persia uh, in the late uh, 1600s. Wow. Uh, I've also got a katana from uh, Japan in, in 1800s. 
I like that stuff because um, it's like living history. And it's, it's very cool to me to think that, wow, like 400 years ago, like some guy was, was holding this, this thing right here that I'm now touching. Um, and the other advantage is in the event of a home invasion, I've got multiple <laughs> choices for how to decapitate someone, which is. Which <laughs> it's good to have that. Going yeah. back to the books. I love that you said that you got to give us a couple of the ones that have been most impactful for you over the years or even recently. So let's see. Recently, um, I just read um, Hiroshima uh, by John Hersey. Uh, I went to um, uh, St. Viber High School in Arlington Heights, Illinois. The public school that I would have gone to in my area is, is John Hersey High School. And uh, as, as some people may know, Hersey was famous for having written uh, journalism uh, for the New Yorker which many regard as the finest piece of journalism of the 20th century. It was, it was a full page article, or excuse me, a full um, issue devoted to just this one article. So basically a book wow. um, about uh, Hiroshima in the aftermath. So I read that uh, just last week and, and was very moved by it. Uh, he won the Pulitzer Prize for that, uh, rightfully so. Um, I read a lot of books on business. Um, I like true business. Um, so not, not as much like how to do X, but more like here's a biography of whatever, Elon Musk or yeah. Steve Jobs, you know, some, something where I can glean some learnings or, you know, some insights about how they, those, you know, great minds thought about their businesses, which helps me think about mine. Um, and I like reading about um, uh, history, uh, the, the ancient Romans, for example, um, uh, the Gladiators. I just read a book on uh, uh, the real life uh, Spartacus, or you know, the various in individuals who may also be Spartacus collectively. There's some dispute about that, but I love reading about um, about uh, history. Everything repeats itself, right? So if we read about history, we can um, you know understand our own times more effectively. Isn't that so true? Like, look at podcasting in general. It's just the radio brought back on demand. You know, it's like crazy to me how it does that. Right. Exactly. Um, all things are cyclical. Yeah. The Hiroshima book sounds fascinating. I'll have to pick that up. Um, on the biography front, any that stand out to you as good reads for, for folks who are trying to find their way or get a foothold in their career? Um, let's see. Well, you put me on the spot with that one. No worries. If not. I would say uh, I would say the Steve Jobs one is cool because um, there's a lot of things in there that I think are are practical for today's times for people who are starting a business or thinking about starting a business. The way that Jobs um, thought about his business, he wasn't necessarily a a, um, uh, a genius at building things. He, his genius was in being an editor, and you know, give me five options and I'll tell you which one I like the best sort of. Um, and so that's a little bit more accessible than someone who's just a pure coding genius or, or a pure whatever. Um, so I, I think that one is, is worth recommending. But frankly, I, I would say to people, you know, figure out what inspires you, um, you know, go to a bookstore and, and browse and, and, and don't be afraid to, to wander a little bit. I, I think it's fun and it, and it keeps us young and engaged. Yeah. So much knowledge in books, all the knowledge of the world, they say. Joe Siprit. So uh, big, big fan of books myself. And a lot of people ask to compile a list of books that all the guests such as yourself have recommended. So maybe one day we'll get to that. Um, last question for you is, 
Is there anything you do like a habit or a routine or something you say to yourself on a daily basis that's really helped you over the years? For example, me, I love a, a little morning meditation. I can't live without it. And before it was a pain in the ass. Now I like it. Um, so there's a number of things I do like that, but anything in that realm that you do that you think is, is maybe ne- unique to you and it's really helped you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, generally I have a, a philosophy that anytime something goes wrong, um, I have what's called the, uh, the one hour rule. Um, if I ever make a bad decision or some bad um, uh, act occurs, I will allow myself one hour to reflect on it and to learn from it. And, and to, you know, digest it. And then after that, move on and, and turn the corner and, and move forward and not to, you know, constantly um, think back and, and torture yourself. So every day, to the extent that, you know, anything like that occurs, I'll spend that one hour really thinking. And uh, you, I think you could call it a sort of form of meditation, at least loosely, um, contemplative, um, you know, thinking of, of a type. And, uh, and then I think, all right, well, here are the learnings that I can extract from this and let's, let's move forward. And then I don't look back. That's really the thing that I, I try to, to hold myself to on a daily basis. That's big because so much what holds people back, even myself is feeling guilty about things you did two, three years ago and letting it hold you back and like define who you are now. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's tough to do what I'm suggesting, um, which is why you got to kind of hold yourself to a rule. But if you don't, you can, you can beat yourself up, or at least those of us who tend to be um, you know, introspective and thoughtful, which is, which is generally a very good trait to have, but that can also result in a sort of personal torture if you aren't able to, to really pull yourself out of it sometimes. And so I think, you know, learn from your mistakes and then move forward. I like to think that every um, principle, if you will, that I have, that I operate by, anything you've heard me say today, for example, every single one of those principles is really the result of having made some major mistake uh, earlier in my career um, or my life where I didn't follow that principle. And then the principle emerged um, from, from those mistakes. So, you know, I, what I always tell people who work for me is, you know, mistakes will happen, but the true crime is failing to learn from it, right? Um, so take every mistake as an opportunity to, to um, you know, learn something and become better for it. Are there any mistakes that you can think back to that really were, uh, were ones that propelled you down this path or that maybe you didn't follow the rule on? Too many to name, quite frankly. Um, you know, yeah. but, but it, hap- it happens to all, you know, every human being, right? Unless you're, you're born in a vacuum, like at the age of, you know. So the key though, is just to always be learning and, and always be evolving and to become uh, better for it. So I hope it's not too vague to be helpful, but you know, that that's the truth of the matter. If, it's hard to isolate any one particular thing. No, not at all. I think it's it's important because one of the big themes from that is you just not beating yourself up repeatedly for for days, weeks, and years. You know, people do that all the time. It's just it's tough to see. Um, and that one hour rule that's that's obviously a key piece of that. Yeah. No, I think so. Well, Joe, it's been an honor to have you on, sir. I was looking forward to this conversation all day. Any last words before we sign off here? I really appreciate the chance to come on and, and talk with you. Uh, you've had some, some great guests on. Uh, so, you know, I'm honored to be included in that, in that company. So, so thank you. And uh, let's all keep supporting wrestling. Let's do it, man. Go wrestling. I'll reach out to schedule some time for the, for the home gym tour. Cause people are going to be excited to see that. Yeah. Sounds good. Awesome. Joe. Thank you very much, sir.
And that's the end of this episode. Thank you to our sponsor, Spartan Combat. For exclusive Yanni Diakamahalas apparel, please go to SpartanCombat.com. To see video clips from this interview, go to Wrestling Changed My Life on Instagram. That's it, and we'll see you next time, folks.